I've always focused on the relationship side of my business more than anything else. It's never been transactional for me. The people I work with, I work with over and over and over and over. I don't mind giving up a little bit more today if it forges a relationship that will be successful in the future. So like, I really truly believe in all of us winning together as a team. It's not fun to like, be the only one that's winning and then everybody else is struggling. So I think there's enough to go around. So I prefer to like collaborate than compete. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast. The only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Before we get into the show, here's a prep message from Medivol, a company that empowers physician practices to work smarter with data-driven services. Are you tired of dealing with headaches like finding and retaining quality billing staff, high turnover, and limited resources? Many practices are opting to outsource all or part of their billing process to help relieve the burden on internal staff, free up resources, and reduce overhead costs. For those who wish to keep billing in-house, it's critical to have solutions that provide automation and give you the ability to monitor staff productivity and effectiveness, especially for remote employees. Medivolve can help you leverage data and AI solutions that bring answers to the forefront and take the guesswork out of revenue cycle management. Let them show you how. To have this great company help you work smarter, reduce your costs to collect and get paid on time, find them at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash medieval. The link is also in the description of this show. Hello, friends. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Vina Jetty. She is a real estate investing genius who specializes in finding, purchasing, and managing multifamily properties throughout the country. She is a loving and supportive wife to an anesthesiologist and a proud mother of two strong 15-month-old twin girls and one of Victor and my very, very, very dearest friends here in Dallas, Texas. Please welcome Abina. Thanks for coming to talk with us today, Vina. Yes, no, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> and before we get into what it's like to be a twin mom, married to a physician, and a multifamily investor, let's briefly discuss your thoughts on what makes a strong marriage. What is your definition of marital interdependence, or in other words, what makes a successful marriage? You know, I would normally say all of the TikTok videos you guys have been doing is the key to it. But no, realistically, I, I'm married to my best friend and he's still my best friend now. And, you know, it was like that when we got married. And I think that that is the foundation of our marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then take us back. So like how many years have you been together? Tell us about the first moment you met him. Oh my gosh. Okay. So our story is like super embarrassing actually. So we've been married eight years now and 
we met on okay so this was back before apps were a thing there were no apps when we met no tinder no tinder there were tinder was not a thing there wasn't like indian tinder no there, there was like indian websites which i was on a whole bunch of those did not meet him on that website any of those websites wait, wait how about what's the lady's name from matchmaker oh uh seema seema taparia yeah was there a seema there must have been seema there was no seema oh my gosh um it was this website called plenty of fish wait is that the one is that one attached to facebook like through mutual friends no this is like before all of this was a thing oh this is like stone age yeah this is almost a decade ago yeah so we met on that website we we were long distance he was in dc i was in arizona oh that's like as far as you get without going to like across an ocean right and it was kind of weird too because his profile was like only people within 50 miles of dc and i was like okay well i'm not so how is going to work exactly <laughs> and so then we ended up um talking for like six weeks or something ridiculous and then our schedules just wouldn't meet up because like i was traveling then he was traveling i think we went to india and london in between like my sister and i did so i just couldn't meet up with him for like six weeks and we talked every day and then he ended up coming out to arizona to see me and i was like mom just so you know like this is this guy's name he could be a serial killer if he is like this is where he lives like don't know what else to do here. <laughs> so where were you in your careers at this point? Yeah, so I actually, do you know I went back and did a year of like a post-bac for pre-med? No. I did. I almost became a doctor. I mean, well, I almost tried to become a doctor, I should say. <laughs> Who knows if I would have gotten into med school. <laughs> yes, you would have been. Oh my gosh. Oh. Okay, so you were doing that? Yeah. You were doing a post-bac course in Arizona? Yeah, at ASU. I did one year. Was, was this like right after college then? Or is this like after you worked for a while and you went back? I was in real estate. I was in corporate real estate, left that, left my job in Santa Monica, did this for one year. I took like 18 hours of all hard science classes because my undergrad degree was in finance. So I had like no microbiology, no orgo, no chem, like nothing from my business degree. And so I did all hard science courses. And I was like a huge dork because I was like, 23 or 24 or something. And so I was 24. And so, you know, everyone else was like 18, 19 years old. And they're like, oh, can you buy me beer? And I'm like, no, get a fake ID like the rest of us did. <laughs> like, I'm not going to jail. <laughs> and I would like- Were you like at University of Arizona? At, no, ASU, even worse. It was like ASU, which is way more of a party ASU, school. Yeah, that's like a super party school. Super party school. And I was like, guys, it's 8.30, it's time for us to go to bed because we have study group in the morning. And I was like, and so, yeah, so I did that for a year. That's when I met Vemsine and he was like, well, if you could do anything that's not medicine and be happy, he's like, that might be an option for you. Wait, wait what point of his medical career was he in? Oh, he was already done. Uh, so oh. four years into his attending job. Oh, oh, you met him after like after training. So you didn't put that time in. No, this is what people when they say marry a doctor, they mean after training. Right. My sister, she actually messed up because she met her husband during his intern year and he did like a fellowship and then another super fellowship and another super fellowship. And then he was like, 
maybe I should do, and she's like, if you say anything that's related to training, I will leave you. <laughs> and so now he has an attending job. So Watson was four years into attending life. And you, and you are doing a post-back course. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't even imagine going back or even like oh, living a life of like going to med school again. Like I was just listening to Kate's podcast on this week and Katrina's talking about going through med school. And I'm like, right, oh yeah, my um, God, I don't remember, like, oh, I can't even I mean, fathom I going had through fun it. the last couple of years. Yeah, there's some fantastic <laughs> times, but I'm not going to trade every single day of the week for like a month to have like two fun days. Well, again. back to Vina yeah. and her hubby. Okay. Yes. The first moment. Okay. So, okay. So we came out to Arizona. What was that? That, that was the first time you guys met. Yeah. And I like I remember I called my childhood best friend up and I was like, okay, so I like this boy and I think like, you know, I want to be serious and see where this goes. Cause I was like the queen of first dates back then. I went on first dates like left, right and center. Like it was my job. And so she was like, okay. And I was like, okay, I think at one point, like I'm going to cook a meal. Cause I was like, you know, this is how you cook them right? is like cooking a good meal so it's like i need you to send me your best recipes and she like sent me this recipe or whatever and so one of the days i think i cooked a meal for him I mean, but you had been talking every day for six weeks so you kind of knew yeah well do you really know someone were you, were you doing it like on facetime so he totally made me facetime him like the first day we were talking he's like let's get on FaceTime. And of course, like I have no makeup on. I haven't like brushed my hair. I, Cause I'm like back in undergrad sort of, right? So like I'm not- It's kind of like COVID. It, it, yeah, I was basically in like a COVID life back in whatever, 2011. And so he was like, let's get on FaceTime. And I was like, and actually I think it was Skype cause I don't think FaceTime existed back then. And so he's like, let's get on Skype. And I was like, Okay. So we get on Skype and he's, you know, so I'm, but I couldn't get on Skype right away because I wasn't cute. So I was like, um, you know, I actually have like this thing I have to do, but we can Skype later today in like an hour. And he's like, okay, great. And so I went and I like got all cute, got ready and then Skyped him. And then later when, after we got married, I was talking to him about it and I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird that you asked me to just like Skype randomly. He's like, well, I had to make sure you looked like your pictures. <laughs> point did you fall in love with him oh i think i was in love with him before i met him okay yes you knew so within those six weeks you had fallen in love with him what what qualities about him what what conversation when did you know i think oh i don't know when in that six weeks because like it was so long ago <laughs> but it was sometime before then that i i knew i wanted to really be serious with him um but i think that what the, what drew me to him is he was like really funny and believe it or not, you guys know him really well now, but he actually talked a lot more when he was trying to court me. When, when you're, when the man is in courtship, they're, they're, it's, they're a different, they're different a different person. Yeah. And so he was, he was like really funny, but he also was like super patient, which was great. But I also was on my best behavior. So I like tried to rein in the crazy as much as possible. Um, and you know, it worked because I tricked him into proposing. Tina, so describe a typical date night for you two while you were dating. And then I'm gonna have you describe a typical date night after you got married. 
and now and then now after kids. Yeah. So we didn't really like change date night from pre-marriage to like post-marriage. When it changed was really when we had like a whole bunch of children and during COVID now. But other than that, it kind of stayed the same for the most part. Um, We, for us, like typical dates were dinners, like we're big foodies. Uh, You guys have been on some of our double dates. So similar to that. So we'd go to like nice dinners, we'd order good drinks and, you know, just go to like fun different places. Um, We traveled a lot to eat really (laughs) before COVID was a thing and before we had kids. Um, So all of our dates, everything basically were around food or like experiences or activities. Okay. And did you guys come from similar backgrounds and cultures or or not? Yeah. So um, we're both, you know, children of Indian immigrants. Um, We're actually, my mom and his family are from the same part of India. And my dad, so my parents had like a scandalous love marriage back in the day. At the time, it was maybe like a little more scandalous because they're from different parts of India. But um, it's funny because my dad is like, one of my grandparents' like favorite people up until my the end of my grandfather's life, my dad and him were very close. And now my grandma and my dad are very close. So yeah, so it, 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 we ended up okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to segue into a little bit more of a serious topic here. So Victor and I both know you have had an emotionally difficult journey as a new mother when one of your twin babies was diagnosed with a very scary disease when she was only, what was it, two months? Yep, 10 weeks old. So can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey as the mother of a pediatric patient over the past year? Oh, gosh, I don't recommend it to anybody. Um, so can I like share openly that how you guys are involved in this story? You can. Is it all right? Okay. Um, okay, so yeah, definitely do not recommend this to anybody. So at 10 weeks old, Um, One of our twins, our baby A, was uh, diagnosed with a, we incidentally found a tumor on her liver, um, and we were diagnosed with a pediatric cancer called a hepatoblastoma. And um, basically, I thought I had died when I heard that. Um, We had just gone in for a high fever, and they were treating her for a kidney a kidney infection at the time, or UTI, sorry, UTI at the time. So part of the protocol in babies that small is a kidney ultrasound. And so they incidentally had picked up this massive liver tumor. Um, And, you know, the pediatrician walked into our room and said, okay, it's 99% chance that it's a hepatoblastoma. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what that is. And he was like, it's cancerous. And obviously, like, you don't want to hear that about anybody in general, not someone you're related to and definitely not your child. Um, so actually, Victor was my first call. and Yeah, she double called me and I was like, oh, my God, Vina never double calls. Well, was your husband with you at the time? He was with me and he was just completely silent. I mean, which is not unusual for him, but he was like more silent than usual at the time. And, um, I was like, okay, we have to call Victor. We have to call Victor. Cause like, you know, I didn't know what Victor really did. I was like, okay, he's a, or he's a pediatric radiation oncologist. He knows about cancer. He will save her. And 
so I, yeah, I kept calling him. I was like, just call him until he answers. We're going to keep calling him until he picks up his phone. I was at Astro talking to like, I was like outside of a session talking to people. Oh, it's like, oh, Venus calling me. I'll call her back. And I was in Chicago for like this, like a day. And she called me like three, like twice in a row. I was like, oh my God, she never does this. I probably make this phone up, phone up. So. And Victor, you probably remember it better than I do because I think I called and was like, she has cancer. It was like just bawling. Right? Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know what's going on. Let's, let's, I couldn't, I couldn't believe what was uh, our discussion. Yeah, I don't think you could understand me because you were like, wait, 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 slow down. How do they know? And it was like, Victor, I don't know. This is just what people told me. And so I think then he called you, Kate, at some point and sent you over. So you were actually the first person we saw that week too, or that day um, outside of family. And so you came with the kids and I, you know, I vividly remember this. I don't know how vividly you remember it, but. Uh, oh, I remember it. I remember it. I remember you sitting there with the baby and I was like, Kate, is my baby going to die? Is my baby going to die? And it was like, so, oh my God, it was so awful. Um, and I think that you were like, I don't know. They're going to take good care. You were being so doctory to me. And it, it's so funny because looking back at it, you know, as a doctor, I wanted you to tell me she was going to be fine because I was like, if Kate says she's going to be fine, she's a doctor. She knows. And I think that like the irony of looking back at that moment in time is that you still had that sense of responsibility to not make this false promise to me because at the time we really didn't know. Um, so yeah, I don't recommend this to anybody just in general. It's not fun. Zero stars for this whole situation. So ultimately, um, and at the time I hadn't even asked you to like look at her images. And the irony of this is this is actually a diagnosis that's made radiologically, not, I mean, well, initially it's a radiologist making this diagnosis, right? And so um, it was a general radiologist, I think, that made this diagnosis. I don't think she was peds trained. Um, and then I think like what, a, the next day I called you and was like, I can't believe I didn't ask you to like look at the images right when you were right there. Um, and I had them couriered over to you. And I will forever be grateful to both of you guys, but you, if, if you hadn't stepped in and really like directed this care, I don't, I don't know what would have happened because um, ultimately, you know, your, you and your friends had come together and I'm so grateful for all of them. Um, and they, oh, you guys all said like, hey, we think it's a vascular tumor and it's possibly not a hepatoblastoma, which is like basically the thing that every single parent ever wants to hear when they find out their kid has a tumor and they're told it's cancer. Like, I just think about how many cancer parents there are out there that like have put everything into wishing that they are told this exact information that we were told. And um, you know, I think that's really hard for a lot of parents, you know, because you, you wish that for your kid. Okay. This is the first time I've ever cried on a podcast before. <laughs> like in, in a roller coaster of emotions here. So, um, yeah, so we actually, we were scheduled to do a biopsy that day on her liver and you called us and you said like, listen, if you do this, there's a risk she bleeds out and you know it's a significant risk for a 10 week old with such a vascular tumor like this and it was big um and so i think i had 
called you or you were on the phone with me and I think I three weighed Vansina to be like, hey, can you like say whatever these words are you're saying to him because he'll understand them and I don't know what you're saying to me, but I trust both of you guys. And um, I think our oncologist had happened to walk in at the time too. And we were lucky too, because Victor, you were on the tumor board at this hospital. So you actually heard her case presented. Um, and so we just had like, I, I don't know what we would have done without you guys, to be honest. Like I think back to that sometimes and I, I, I don't know. I don't know what we would have done. But anyway, um, so ultimately we followed Kate's advice and um, we waited and watched, which is definitely easily the hardest thing to do in medicine when you know that there's a tumor because like the first 30 seconds after they told us it was a cancer in her liver, I was like, okay, we're going to get her a new liver. We'll just take this one out. We'll do a transplant. It'll be totally fine. It'll go away. I'll give her my liver or, you know, we'll, we'll find a liver. We'll, we'll go wherever we have to go to find this liver. And it's just, it's so crazy to go from that to like literally doing nothing. Um, and then we had, you know, a couple of our other good friends. Um, one of our friends who's a GI doctor in San Antonio um, connected us to Dr. Akul, who's um, a hepatologist at UT Southwestern, who's amazing. And so really, it's just like our friends that stepped in to direct our care, which I recognize too, is like a massive privilege because people don't have friends like this. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know what we did to deserve you guys, but I am very thankful for it. So um, ultimately, it ended up being a benign tumor. You were correct. So we're still watching it, um, monitoring it, but it is shrinking and, um, you know, things are definitely looking up. Well, I, yeah. And I made sure to get like seven other, I was not going to be the one to diagnose my friend's baby liver mass. Right. So I, um, and I remember, again, I remember that day, like it was yesterday. I think I, I'm not sure if Victor actually called me or texted me, but I, I got a text. I was in the middle of traffic. I had, um, my baby and my toddler in the back seat and I was driving, oh, driving back to the apartment. No, actually I had my toddler to the back seat. I was driving to my apartment. Then I had to pick up my baby from, from the nanny. And then he's like, you need to go straight to the hospital, straight to the hospital right now. Like, so when you called the day before, I was literally on a day trip to Chicago. I had grown, I had grown up for a meeting because because our other you were baby on a day trip one day. Yeah, no, I, I flew out in the morning. I took the like the six a.m. flight out of Dallas, and I took the like the nine o'clock flight back from Midway and got back here like eleven o'clock. So it was the one night he wasn't in town, and you know me as a I, I I'm kind of like um very an anxious, an anxious mom at some, at, at some point. So I've got, I, so I pick up the baby, I've got the toddler and we're driving to the hospital in the middle of traffic. And I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Like, Oh my God, I have no idea. Uh, you know, I, because hepatoblastoma, I mean, of course nobody wants to have uh, their baby to have that. So I there. Plus, I've got, I've got a baby myself. He was on maternity leave at the time. You know, I baby myself. And and so I was like, what am I going to do with my baby while I'm trying to comfort Vina? And then my toddler, like my kids were out of control at that point. You know what I mean? So we come. I don't think they were. I felt like they were out of control. I it's always feel relative. like my kids, I always feel like they're so wild. Mm. Other, everybody else is like, oh, they're so calm. You know, there's, I'm like, what? Yeah, Kate hasn't had boys. <laughs> and 
I approach the nurse's station and I say, you know, I'm looking for the Jetty family. I'm like, oh, and then, you know, they all look at each other with like their eyes. Like they're, and they're like, well, do you know? And I'm like, yes, I know. I'm a, you know, I'm a pediatric radiologist. I'm their friend. I'm just here to talk to them because they see I've got a baby and I've got a toddler and I'm just going to barge into your room while all the lights are off and you guys are crying. So I come into the room and I think I sit down and one of, I think, I don't know if it was your father or your mother, somebody is like holding my baby while I'm trying to make sure uh, that my toddler's not like wandering off. Yeah. And you asked me, you, you, I mean, the, the lights are off, all the lights are off. It's, I, know, I don't know why we were sitting in the dark. And it was so somber. I mean, it's just somber. And, and you just, you asked me, you're like, is my baby going to die? Is my baby, this, I mean, this is the worst day of my life. This is the worst day of my life. You know, like, and how can you answer that question if you're anybody? You know, nobody can answer that question. Doesn't matter what, how good of a doctor you are. Yeah, but I feel like non doctors would have been like, no, it's going to be fine. <laughs> like, that's actually the answer. And I wanted you to say it because you were a doctor. And I was like, okay, if she says it, and I don't know if Victor told you, but I said the same thing to him. And he also gave me, a, he's like, there is a chance that she could die from this procedure because we were talking about the um, biopsy. And you both gave me the same answer. And I was like, you guys are the worst doctors ever. <laughs> yeah, regardless of the procedure we do on a patient, we have to always say the result would be death, right? And he said that and I started like bawling and he was like, I'm sorry, I forgot like that I'm talking to my friend also. He's like, I had like my doctor hat on. I don't know if you remember that, Victor. I remember. Yeah, on the oncology, on the oncology ward side. Yeah, I remember. Oh, Thursday but, morning. But then the next day, you know, when I signed the waiver or whatever so that I could actually see the uh, HIPAA, you know, the HIPAA rules, I could actually look at the images. And then I started looking at them. And it, it was it's so bizarre. It was just, you know, it wasn't a straightforward hepatoblastoma. And I was like, I need to show this to everybody else. And then, um, luckily, I had... I knew somebody who specialized in liver tumors, and I know that's what Vina needed. She needed to hear, right, the expert in hepatic tumors, pediatric tumors. So I got all these opinions. I made sure I wasn't the only one thinking this. And then, you know, we told you, and we couldn't be 100%, but that definitely kind of helped us slow down and then figure out maybe, maybe watching and waiting was the best thing. And then setting you up to see Dr. Akul and, you know, just, Yes. No. I mean, I things could have gone down so differently. This could have been so different. And this was right before. Like, I forget how many months the, the this was that happened before. What 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 month was this? That this it's like October, September, September. Yeah. So then there were several months, and then I know your follow up somewhat got delayed when the pandemic started too. Yeah, so we were supposed to follow up at one year, which was in July, and we were trying to weigh the risk of, okay, do we go in for an ultrasound or do we, and do we like risk COVID or do we not and wait and see? And so we were like, okay, you know what? We're not going to do anything. We'll just do her blood work because I had um, a phlebotomist come to the house because I had to do blood work and like my mom had blood work. So it's like, we'll just do all blood work at the same time. It's at home. There's no risk of pandemic exposure. It's fine. Um, so we did that and her AFP level went up, which is the tumor marker level. And 
that's like something you don't want to see when you're following a diagnosis that you know is a tumor. Um, so, you know, I started panicking again, of course, and that's when we came back in to do the ultrasound um, because at that point then the we thought the risk of COVID was worth actually seeing what was happening. Right. And is that when we saw that it had actually like shrank significantly? Yeah. And I don't think you were there for that because it was just an ultrasound. So then after we finished it, we sent you the, or we, I sent you a text and you were able to go in and see the images because you were her like official treating doctor at that point. You didn't have to courier anything because I just transferred care over to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And it is a, as an aside, after we, after you had the MRI, well, she, your baby had the MRI like the first day right after the ultrasound. And then a, a week or two later, we did a uh, contrast enhanced ultrasound on her, which is not done at every institution. But, you know, fortunately, we do do, do it at my hospital. We started about a year or two ago, which just kind of confirms, OK, yeah, th that's the right contrast pattern. This is what kind of tumor it is. And Victor, I remember Victor was like, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should do that. This is our friend, right? This is our friend. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to tell Vina to schedule the exam on 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 a Wednesday at the main hospital, so she can it can be performed by so and so. Well, no. Vina schedules it for a Tuesday at the Outreach Plano Hospital on the day she knows I'm going to be there. It was like Victor. Nothing else worked with our schedule. It's so weird. <laughs> so that was a very a very tension filled evening for me and Victor the night before that. I knew it was doing, and we we got it. You know what? I Kate and I had this conversation, Victor, and I don't know if she told you this, but she did tell me she was worried about this. And I said, listen, like, it's not fair that I have to go to someone who's not as good as you because you're my friend. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Lena. Besides, besides all of this uh, and how the pandemic slightly delayed care, but not not significantly, did the pandemic affect you and Vamsin in, in any other way with um couple related or job related for you guys? Um, yeah. So Vansine moved out of our house for like eight weeks or 10 weeks or something like that. We, he moved out uh, because he's an anesthesiologist, right? So he was on like their team or their group was a backup COVID unit or whatever. So because there was all these like intubations happening, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so when the hospitals got full or they needed backup care to the ICU team, then the anesthesia- They call the B team. There, yeah, he was the BT. Hey, I didn't move out because of any marital issues. This oh, is only a, this is a COVID quarantine it was issue. A COVID, but yes, when you say that I moved out, you can't just say that in like public space. So both of our husbands moved out in March, April, May because of COVID. Yeah. It's actually funny you say that, Victor, because I had an investor who actually works with Vensine every now and then. And he had sent me a text sometime around then just to kind of like check in and say what's up. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, Vemsine moved out, but we're surviving, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he was like, whoa, okay. Um, like, are you guys okay? It was like, yeah, we're fine. It's just, you know, this is just, we're just where we are today, you know? And so we were saying all these things. And then he was like, uh, he said something and I was like, Oh, uh, just to clarify, he moved out because of COVID. Like, we're still married. Like, he's still not allowed to have other wives. Like, no. And 
So he like starts cracking up in text because like we're texting each other and he's like, oh my gosh. He's like, I totally thought Vemsin moved out because you guys were like separated. I was like, so you thought I was just announcing this like massive change in our lives, like just super cash on like a text message randomly. He's like, I didn't know. He's like, but it was weird. <laughs> so yes, you have to clarify. You know, it's interesting because you say so many details about things <laughs> that I don't know how they add to the to the the color of the conversation. But then other details are so vital and just get completely I missed. I just don't see the big picture, which is why I'm doing this podcast, right? Because I'm getting the big picture from everyone else. You moved out for COVID, turn your life upside down. Yes, that was really hard because he was like a 10 minute walk away from us. So he moved into my parents' house. My parents moved in with me. Um, we got rid of like all of our nannies except for one who was also socially distanced. How many nannies did you have? Oh, Victor, calling me right out, aren't you? All, you said all of my nannies. That means at least three. I had five. Five nannies. Well, you know, Vina works like night and day. So day. that just goes to show you what it actually takes. Like, to be a, a full-time mom of twins. When you are running your own company like Vina does and finding all these properties and you can't be that full-time mom, you got to have five people running your household and taking care of your kids. So. Oh yeah. I had killed 24 hours a day at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I needed it because, well, I was like postpartum from my C-section and then obviously we got this diagnosis. So until they were like two months old, so the week before our like regular nanny started and actually all of them started kind of that beginning week of September. And then like two weeks later, we find out all of this crazy diagnosis. So everybody kind of went through that roller coaster with us. And so at that time, like I needed five nannies cause I was, like I said, I was working. Um, I was trying to recover from a C-section. I had my twins and now we're navigating this medical diagnosis. Um, and you're running like a nine-figure company, so. Minor details, Victor. <laughs> so we got rid of four of them, and I was so sad because, like, they're all, like, family to me. Like, we had the best nannies. And, I mean, our nanny now, she's amazing. And so, yeah, so we had her, we had her coming, and my parents, thankfully, were involved. Um, so they moved into our house. My husband moved into their house. My parents lived 10 minutes away walking from us. Um, and every day we'd put the kids in the stroller and we'd walk to see um, my husband for 15 minutes outside from 10 feet away. And because at that time we still didn't have enough information about COVID. We didn't know what spread it. We And, you know, we were still watching Viv's tumor at the time. So we were still being careful. And because yeah, he is super high risk to be a carrier on his like, cause he had very high risk exposures over and over and over again. So he didn't end up treating known COVID patients at the time because they never actually kicked in the anesthesia team um, at that point. And now all of his patients are tested. So it's a little bit different and he's back to like bread and butter cases, but we just didn't know at that point, right? Like we didn't know what his exposure level was. He was intubating patients. So we didn't know if those patients were positive or negative because the tests were so faulty at the time. Um, and so, we would take them, they'd be in their stroller. It was actually really sad because my kids were, were they like eight months at the time? So they couldn't understand, or they were nine months, they couldn't understand why like daddy, who's so hands-on with them, 
is like not kissing them, not hugging them, not like coming close to them. And we're only seeing them for 15 minutes a day and that's it. They like couldn't really get it. So actually my daughter got really mad at him, like visibly mad. Like we would get there and she would just turn away. She wouldn't look at him the whole 15 minutes we were there. So then he'd like walk around and he'd be like playing peekaboo, turning and she'd like, and then she'd like bury her face like down so she couldn't see him. Like she would not look at him for a few of those days. So emotionally she, she, she's like she's a three yeah she's like a three nine month older. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's 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 gonna be great when she's about twelve. Awesome! I'm really excited about that. You know what, Victor? People say that to me, and you know, I think the thing is, is like after you have like a almost cancer diagnosis, everything's fine. It's totally different. Like, I'm like, great. I hope I get to see her life till 12. Yeah, they unfortunately die. And I tolerate, like, it's unbelievable. Like, I just, I can tolerate, like, everything when it comes to kids. Because I'm just happy I get to hug them every night. That's exactly it. That, that's exactly, that's why your TikTok you put out the other week. I, I think I called you to, or texted you to tell you, like, oh my gosh, this was so emotional for me. Because it was about a three-year-old cancer patient. Like, doctors don't stop thinking about them just because they're at home and they're off the clock now. Um, and so, you know, that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, if we get the chance, I thought there was a time where we might not have gotten the chance to see her at 12, right? So, okay, if she's difficult, we'll do, we'll hire more nannies to watch her then. Okay. So away from the medical side, how has the pandemic affected you as now as a multifamily investor slash sponsor? asset manager, et cetera. Okay. So um, how has this affected us as multifamily sponsors? So um, naturally in the beginning, we didn't know how it was going to affect us. Um, this was unprecedented. We didn't know, were we going to all of a sudden have like massive delinquency rates, bad debt? Um, we've definitely seen it on some of our properties, especially where our tenant base can't afford to miss that paycheck. Um, so, you know, for us, actually, our primary focus has been the health of our residents um, and the health of our communities first, and then worrying about the financial and business side kind of second to that. Um, and I think in doing that, we actually were able to sustain a lot of the turbulence that's existed over the last 10 months or so. Um, as far as the company goes, I have basically thought I wasn't going to be acquiring any assets through 2020. Yeah, we're just doing like a teeny tiny project this year. So and so yeah, so we're doing this one project, but it really was because it was such a good deal, we couldn't say no to it. And so we had to do it. You know, we're doing one project. And usually we would have done like four, maybe five in a year. Um, and so I think that that changed. I think that we're going to start seeing a little bit more change changes within the landscape of real estate right now we still haven't seen pricing change a whole lot from the buying side of it um sellers still want what they want they're still acting as if it's a seller's market buyers are still acting like it's a seller's market so there hasn't been a whole lot of change in that regard but we, we definitely are seeing some um, effects on our properties to our financials and you know we're trying to manage through it it's a short-term situation so we are putting a lot of energy and effort into staying on top of it. I know as a multifamily investor, there are a lot of opportunities that you discuss finances in general and may or may not with your hubby. Do you all have any certain financial rituals or practices that you follow as a couple? Do either of you 
take charge on certain things or both or how do you guys manage this? Yeah, so we pretty much both really believe in that happy wife, happy life moniker. So basically, um, like personal finance, like day-to-day finance, um, we have this rule where we check in if we are spending like over $200 on any like frivolous expense. Right. Okay. So anything over $200, you kind of just get a you get to pass that by your spouse as long as it's not considered, as long as it's considered a, a frivolous $200 plus expense. Okay. I got it. Um, who pays all the bills? Um, mostly me. I mean, most of our stuff is on auto pay. Um, I've actually recently started handing over a lot more responsibility to my husband. It, he's great. I mean, he just was like coasting along because I never asked him to do anything before. Um, so now he actually is the one that does all of the like interviewing and hiring and nanny coordination now. He does all of the buying of stuff for the kids. He is halfway coordinating the pediatrician appointments and stuff like that. Um, and then he does some of the bill paying, like, you know, he just got his car. And so I said, okay, well, how is that getting paid? Cause I have not set up an auto payment. He's like, okay, I'm going to do it. So he set up auto payment on that. Okay. So he, he can, he can handle the, the finances as well. Uh, I know you are also very involved in several different charities and your company places a strong emphasis on giving back to the community. How do you discuss and decide as a couple how much money to donate as well as just in general, save, invest, and spend? So it's actually, maybe we should discuss this more. I don't know, because we don't really discuss like a set amount that we're going to donate or it's mostly like when the mood strikes one of us, we donate. That's actually one of the things we don't really check in on as much. Um, so my donations are usually like my big donations are usually done based off of like a project closing. So I have like a little ritual I do that every time I close a deal, um, I make a donation to a charity and then I like try to get all of my friends involved in doing the same thing. So I ask you all for money for investments and for charitable causes. I'm always asking you guys for money. <laughs> that Those larger checks are usually like, I plan them as actually part of like my business income. Um, I kind of like allocate some of that before we take it out to like our personal accounts. Um, and then as far as like investments go, he's more hands-off about mm-hmm. it than I am. Um, you know, he has this like a fidelity account where he has some fun money there for whatever trading that he wants to do. Um, and so he'll like buy stocks and in their index funds. I don't know. I don't actually know what he does in that account, but that's his baby. Um, and I do all of our real estate investing, obviously. Um, and then we use uh, someone like Ryan for our actual real financial planning. I think we probably should talk about it more because we don't, but I think he just really, really, really trusts me. So that's perfect. I mean, yeah, it makes it easy. What is the smartest financial decision you have ever made in your life? Oh, marrying my husband. Exactly. That's the right answer. Good job. That's the first decision, financial and non-financial both. Good job. Good job. Oh, was was there a right or wrong answer? That's that's always the right answer. No. 
assuming you married the right person. But I do. I did love that. When the first time I ever heard anybody ask that question was when Victor was on a podcast, Money in the Morning, with yeah. stacking that uh, Joe Salci. Joe Salci. And he, Victor got asked that question and he answered, Yeah, marrying me. And I was like, Oh my God, I never heard of this before. He's so, he's so true. That's- um, okay, good answer. Now, um, tell me the keys to your success and happiness as a parent, spouse, and investor? This is like an impossible question, but you can kind of handle them one at a time. Parent, spouse, investor. Okay, so parent, spouse. Okay, so parent, happiness as a parent. Oh, and so, so I don't know if this is successful just yet. <laughs> like my kids are way too young to know that. <laughs> Ask me again in 20 years. Um, I think the happiness piece, um, I mean, I think that it's just inherent to having kids, isn't it? Like, they're, it's literally the best and the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, I still sometimes can't believe that I have kids. It's so weird because I haven't had kids for so long and now I have them. Um, and, you know, we're really private about our kids, actually, despite everything we share on this podcast. I don't post them like on social media. And so for the longest time, a lot of my friends didn't even know we had kids. Um, even now, sometimes I have friends that are like, wait, Vina, you had kids? I, did, I, did I miss something? I was like, no, we just never posted, never really talked about it as much. But they're so much fun. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think just being a parent in general, you're just you, – you just people say like, oh, you don't know lo- like the type of love you have when you have a kid until you actually have one. And I couldn't imagine it before, and I can't describe it now. So, okay. How about as a spouse? Okay. So the key to the happiness as so I think the success is that I married the right person, right? Um, So he like totally gets me, and he is somebody that um, he like makes me want to be the best version of myself for him and like our family. And that is like something that is very hard to come by. And so I think I'm like being so sappy and like mushy, huh? <laughs> real stuff. It's real. Yeah, it's real. Um, and so I think that the key to like, well, I think the key to the success piece of that too is like, we want to be married to each other, right? Like we choose to be married to each other every single day. And even if things I mean, we don't really fight a whole lot. We haven't. It, it's because I married the most patient man on the face of the planet. It's not because of anything else. Like we fought like a handful of times in our marriage in its entirety. So, you know, it's like a little bit different too. So that's the other thing is like I also recognize that he can never leave me because no one else will put up with me. So that's the other key to the success. <laughs> So as as an investor, and and I mean you've 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 achieved most things that most all people will never achieve when it comes to growing wealth and investments. How have you gotten there? If you were to name one key thing that has allowed you to get to where you are so quickly in your life, yeah, I think um, so. Actually, to tie back to you know the concept of marriage, I actually think my husband has been a huge part of my success. So as much as like I joke about him not being involved and stuff like that, he's actually always been the unwavering support in my life. So 
when business gets hard and when I'm facing things that I'm unsure about, like, you know, a global pandemic, for example, I always turn back to him and look, I, I always come back to him to recenter and rebalance myself. Um, and he's always been a soft space for me to land no matter what. And he believes in me so much um, that it makes it easier for me to believe in what I'm doing too and that I can do these things. And, you know, it allows me to take these risks that probably most people can't take because if your spouse isn't supporting, I'm taking big risks for big rewards, right? And so I, if I didn't have him supporting me through that and, you know, cheerleading me on through that, then I don't know that I would have been able to take those risks. And I don't know that we would have seen those rewards from it. So I think like that has been a huge cornerstone to being successful. Um, I think too, and obviously like all of you guys can't marry my husband, but marry your own bum scene. <laughs> um, but I think too, the other thing is um, I've always focused on the relationship side of my business more than anything else. Um, it's never been transactional for me. The people I work with, I work with over and over and over and over. Um, I don't mind giving up a little bit more today if it forges a relationship that will be successful in the future. So like, I really truly believe in all of us winning together as a team. It's not fun to like be the only one that's winning and then everybody else is struggling. So I think there's enough to go around. So I prefer to like collaborate than compete. Um, and so, you know, finding really great partners that I have been able to work with over and over has been actually the way to scale a business. If you want to know how to scale, you find really strong partners who are good at something you're not good at or who can complement your skills. And then you guys utilize each other to really grow. That is absolutely uh, right on. Okay, so your big take-home points or advice you want to give all of our listeners today about on medicine, marriage, and money that we have not yet covered or maybe that you'd like to just re-emphasize? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know that I've been married long enough to give marriage advice. Give you on anything. Oh, about anything. About anything. Keeping the lines of communication open with your spouse um, is really important. And I think that people always told me like, oh, you know, the seven-year itch, you're going to want to like tear your hair out at seven years, which like obviously didn't happen for us because we also had children at the seven year mark. Um, but I think that, and I see a lot of my friends now we're at that age where our friends are starting to get divorced more often. Um, and I think that if you guys both choose to continue to be married to each other, it's a lot easier to work toward a common goal. And the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Like I know when I, you're frustrated with your spouse, you can be like, oh, if I, you know, there's somebody else who maybe wouldn't do A, B, or C, but you're not looking at like what the other flaws that are coming with that are, right? So like the grass is always greener. So if there's a way to, you know, make it work, and this is assuming that there's no like, you know, imminent danger to anybody in the couple, right? Um, but if there's like disagreements, try to work through it together because I think like that is so much more fruitful and rewarding than trying to find somebody else who's going to fit that list of criteria because you don't know what you're trading that for. Yeah, I mean, the bio data is just the bio data. Exactly, exactly. All right, so wrapping up. That's it. Where can That's we find it. you? Yeah, where can we find you, Vina? 
Yeah, so uh, company website is vivefunds.com, V-I-V-E funds.com. And then I ha- I'm on, I guess I'm on Instagram and Twitter and... As yes, you're on Instagram. She oh has, God, she has have, people. Like, you have like a ton of followers. All right. Thank you so much, Mina. This is so special. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Such a great show with Vina Jetty. Before we end, don't forget to reach out with Moneyball. For those of us who know how hard it is to build and maintain a sustainable business, we understand that bringing the right help to achieve our goals is really important. Get in touch with them for data-driven analytics, workflow automation, and medical billing technology and services by going to www.drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Medieval and get going on the right path. much Vina that was fabulous oh my gosh thank you so much for coming on to my show with Victor and I and being so vulnerable opening up and sharing that very touching story about you and your twin daughter to those of you listening out there despite what Vina says about us possibly saving the life of her child we know that her child's life was not saved by us and rather what we did was hold her hand as she went through the journey from a diagnosis, a devastating diagnosis to a not so devastating diagnosis. So now I'm going to say my three big take home points from Nina Jetty. Number one, believing and supporting your spouse allows them to believe even more in themselves. And this is all we really want. We want to watch our spouse be successful and happy and and successful in whatever way that means to them. Number two, find a partner that is good at something you are not good at so that you can collaborate and grow. Number three, Her businesses are so successful because she focuses on the relationship side of things more than anything else. Bina does not mind giving up a little today in order to be successful in the future. She believes we can all win as a team. There is enough to go around for everyone. She would rather collaborate than compete. And that is it. Thank you so much for joining us again, friends. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Please go and share this episode with anybody you think would benefit from listening to Vina's story. She had so much to talk about regarding her hepatoblastoma slash hemangioma, a diagnosis of her little girl, her real estate investing beliefs, business beliefs, and and just meeting her hubby, their marriage. It's just all so beautiful. So please go and share with any family and friends who would like it. And again, thank you so much for all of the healthcare professionals, physicians out there working. I do not stop and say thank you enough. I'm sure you don't hear it every day, 
maybe maybe you do from your patients from your partners from from the other nurses the other physicians and, and if you don't i'm saying it i appreciate you i love you you are changing the world you are saving lives you are a huge part of why we are all here today and i hope you walk away asking yourself is my spouse my best friend do we have or need a check-in amount for spending on frivolous things do i have any donation rituals or do i want to create any donation rituals why do i choose to be married to my spouse every day am i a soft space for my partner to land and do i collaborate or compete that is it you know where to find me i am on medicinemarriageandmoney.com you can schedule a coaching session with me you can join my physician facebook group medicine marriage and money you can check me out on instagram medicine marriage and money tiktok uh, connect with me anyway i love talking to you guys and i love hearing from you and if you have any suggestions you know where to find victor 39.6 community on facebook where he does his lives about three times a week and Venus links will be in the show notes. Thank you. Love you guys. Much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.